Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan, and today I am joined by my friend Maggie. And why I love Maggie's name is because it's also my daughter's name, although I should clarify, she's not named after you. <laughs> I'll leave that up for speculation. <laughs> Actually, I remember when we announced her, her name, which I think I waited until she was born. That was your first comment because your real name is Margaret, right? That's right. Have you ever gone by Margaret or have you always been Maggie? I sometimes go by Margaret at work, but I'm trying to transition it to Maggie because a lot of people get confused. However, my husband's really the only person who calls me Margaret. Like he calls, this sounds bad. Does he call you that if like you guys are in an argument or like that is just what he calls you? It's kind of like his version of a formal pet name. <laughs> I love that. I mean, so I don't know why this, the day we found out we were pregnant with her. I was in complete shock, still sitting there crying in shock. And I said, if it's a girl, her name will be Margaret. Margaret is not a family name. Her middle name is a family name, but I don't know why it was just, and I have, I do have a best friend I grew up with whose name was Margaret. It wasn't even after her. It was just one of those things that I really enjoyed. But then even while I was pregnant, everyone started, started calling her Maggie. And I was almost mad. I was like, no, it's Margaret. It's Margaret. And then now, I mean, she only gets Margaret if she is like eating dog food that she's not supposed to be eating <laughs> I mean, she is Maggie. She's baby Mags. I mean, she is. And so I, I'm happy. I've never talked really to another Maggie since she's been born. So yay. <laughs> well, she'll like that when she becomes an adult. When I started, um, I did a little bit of time in banking and I found that people trusted me more when I went by Margaret because I didn't think I was just an 18 year old off the street. You know what? I, I can completely connect with that because you're right. Maggie is like Tommy versus Thomas in that regard. So I could see her and I don't mind the fact that she will get a choice. In fact, I used to always give my parents so much crap because my sister's names are like that. They have the fancy version and then their nickname and they went by their nickname until they were adults. And then my one sister transitioned to her more formal name. I'm like, Ed, did you get to kid three? And you just called me Sarah. Like I have no nickname. There's no formal informal. I'm just Sarah. So all of my kids essentially have a formal and informal name, if you will. So it is a, it's a nice choice for them to make later in life. <laughs> my, my children have that as well. We have Lillian and Alexander, but they go by Lillian Alex. And if they want to later, they can go by something different. And that's what's cool about it. Um, I usually start podcasts. I, what I love is that this podcast has allowed me to make an interesting web of people and connect the dots between people that either I've already known or they know somebody else that I know. And then they've connected me over here. And you were one of those people that I connected to because our husbands are from the same fraternity. Yep, that's right. And I'm trying to remember, do you remember when you and I met? I, it's, I sound so silly because like, even through like my young adult years and everything, I said, oh yeah, Sarah Jordan, she's so great. And like we, it was always like, oh, Sarah Jordan goes to U of L. Oh my goodness. And so when I finally met you at a party, the very first thing I remember asking you was, so is that laser hair removal stuff like actually real? <laughs> and then afterwards, I was just kicking myself afterwards. Like that is a horrible first impression to make on her. You know what? Strangely, one of the top questions I get asked like in my entire career in radio, which is almost 15 years now, it is one of the number one things people ask me about. And I'm okay with that because the answer is always, yes, I do do that. Yes, I do have smooth skin. No, I don't have the shape. Call ideal image. Um, 
So it really does work. I'm trying to think because, so when I went to U of L, I was already working full time at the radio station and I did meet, or I, I met Brian, my husband, my senior year of college, but he was older than me. So unfortunately I wasn't really involved very much on U of L's campus because I was involved so much with work and I was involved with like then my husband's and his friends who were, had all graduated from U of L because even though your husband and my husband are fraternity brothers, he was older than your husband, Colin. Mm-hmm. So it, I, that's why I was trying to remember when I did meet you. It makes sense. Cause I want to say you were good friends with Amy, correct? Um, with Amy. And then also Craig. I think uh, when we met. There it is. I was going to say there, there's another connection there. Okay. It was because of Craig. See, I knew we'd float back down this road and now it's all coming back to me. So while you were younger than me, you, this sounds bad. This makes me feel old because you could say you did grow up listening to me in some ways, considering I just only here for 15 years. So that, I love that. I love when the stars align. And then did, when did you and your husband start dating? Was it in college? It was in college. We met a couple years um, before we started dating. I um, they, they always did the Tuesday night volleyball, and um, I went with a couple of my sorority sisters over there, and um, that's where I met Colin. And then I just hung around that fraternity for a long time, just um, pretended to make cookies. I'd take some Kroger cookies, microwave them right before I walked over, and said they were fresh baked, and. Um, made a lot of friends over there. And then Colin and I started, we met in 2008, but didn't start dating until 2010. So, okay. Actually me and Brian met in 2008 as well. We got married in 2010. So we actually met our husbands at the same time, but that's hilarious. It used to take grocery store cookies and heat them up and be like, yeah, of course. That's a great way to make friends though. (laughs) And it was, it's such a stereotypical thing with, the sororities making cookies for the fraternities. And I always thought that was really stupid, but I also wanted to be a part of the group. And so that's, that was my workaround. Okay. So did you grow up here in Louisville? I did. Um, my parents still live in the same house I grew up in. So just in the um, East End Shelbyville Road, Hurstbourne area. So did you know that you always wanted to go to U of L? No, I actually, and it's, um, kind of jumped around from where I wanted to go to college. I originally wanted to go to UK and then I almost actually, I even signed up for my dorm at WKU. And then at the very last, like three months before college started, I switched to U of L um, because I was originally in their music program. And that's why I made the switch. Okay. So tell me about music then. Cause clearly if you were going to go to school for music, that music was a much larger part of your life. So when you say music, are you talking singing? Are you talking playing an instrument? I'm singing. Singing. Okay. Are you an alto? Are you a soprano? Um, I am like, I can hit like high notes and everything, but when I was like in a chorus, I was like the second to the lowest soprano. So I was like right in the middle. I, I'm more of an alto, even though you're right, I can sing. You and I, uh, you may not know that we do share uh, a love of singing. I grew up doing theater and dance and playing violin and everything else. And then I switched away from it last minute when I went to college and went to radio and TV instead of doing theater, which is a good time. So um, what made you decide to switch away from music? It was a really hard decision. Um, I knew that I, of course, needed to make money um, after college. And I... Also, I found that the music program at L, while it's amazing and they have amazing professors, it was very political in a way. It was almost like where they would judge someone's self-worth based on what their singing voice sounded like. 
And I didn't want to be like that. And so I wanted to find a way to use it in a positive way. And so I tried, um, I had vocal performance first and then I tried music therapy and that really wasn't for me. And so I wasn't really finding a home with it. But I also knew that um, I had other talents besides music. I'm a much more dynamic person than just one thing. I was always just the music girl in high school and I didn't want to just be that. And so I switched to communications as um, a way to also, I loved graphic design and PR and everything. So I made that switch and I feel like I'm fulfilled with that. And then the singing side is I just try to find ways to do that on my own. Like I used to sing my grandma and I sing to my kids all the time, you know, all the Disney songs. You still found ways to, you still find ways to include music in your life. I feel like when you grow up in music, you don't turn that off. You just channel it differently. Mm-hmm. Although kids, I don't have a dream that they'll do like a trio with me um, one day and just, we'll just sing songs all the time once they're older. I love that. My, my, uh, my oldest daughter, she walks around making up songs all the time and she is completely content being in her own little world, like making up songs. And it is the cutest thing ever. She was doing it even last night and wearing, of course, her Elsa pajamas. Although sometimes I'll start joining in and singing and she likes to correct me on which parts I'm allowed to sing. Say for instance, for two, I'm allowed to sing the mom's parts because I'm the mom. So I mastered like the lullaby from Frozen 2, but I'm not allowed to sing Elsa and Anna's songs. <laughs> Which, you know what, she'll get over that because she needs to know that her mom is going to forever embarrass her and sing along to every sing-along that there ever was, especially if it's Disney. So she'll be fine. Um, I do have to ask. So growing up, when you went to UofL, did you know you wanted to be in a sorority? I had actually was highly against sororities when I first started really? at UofL. I didn't join a sorority until second semester freshman year. I just thought it was really clicky and I just didn't like, I've seen too many movies talking about all the bad stuff. Um, but once I did join it, I had some friends from music school who were in the sorority and I thought I met so many great people. And thankfully the dues weren't like astronomically high at UofL, like as compared to like other schools in the South. And so it wasn't, too much of financial commitment for me to at least try it out. And I loved it. And it actually, it helped me learn to talk to strangers. It was really, <laughs> that's the best way for me to describe it because you had to learn like how to recruit people and things that you can apply now in like business life. So I, I feel like I've had a reverse experience with fraternities and sororities. I like you when I went to college was adamantly against that's not, I'm not that girl. And then, so I never did join because I was too distracted by working too much and I made friends and this and that. But then when I met Brian, that was my first experience with the Greek life. And when I met all the other guys from Sig Ep, which were of course all of his closest friends, and as you know, they travel around in little packs. And <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, these are all the great guys. And then I met girls like you. And I know that, um, Joy, who's one of my best friends, who is, uh, I grew up with her. She's the one who introduced me and Brian. She was in a sorority. So all of a sudden, like, as I was leaving college and then post-college, did I actually have experiences with the sororities and fraternities? And I thought to myself, oh, I see now. And I see how it gives you, like, an instant community, an instant way into, especially you, be even, you even being from Louisville, an insight to a different side of just growing up and doing something different. So, I mean... I feel bad almost for how much crap I gave Greek life 
until I married someone in <laughs> from the Greek realm. And I really do feel like if I had not decided to join a sorority, I would have been fine. But the like the people I met, like I had the best roommate experience. I've heard all these horror stories about people's roommates in college. And I ended up rooming with someone in my sorority named Kenzie. And it was amazing. If I had never joined the sorority, I would never have had that experience. See, and that's what I love to hear. And I don't know if where I was picking up my negativities and stereotypes towards sororities and fraternities, probably. I mean, it had to have been movies because social media wasn't raging when I started college by any means. But either way, I mean, looking back at it now, and of course, all of our, my bridal party, I'm pretty sure like we had a massive bridal party, as I'm sure you did too. All of the guys were, were from a fraternity. <laughs> and then you get to learn all the fun little, like they did the little like wedding chants or song that they do, which I was at your wedding. You had a beautiful wedding. I'm pretty sure they did the same with yours. <laughs> yep. Do their toast. Exactly. If that's what it is. It's a toast. But there's like, I don't want to say chant, but there's a, like, there's a, it's a very specific thing that they do, which is so much fun. With the candlelight, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Okay, so you and Colin started dating. So you and Colin started dating young, like Brian and I did then. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I know, like, some people I know look at that like, there's no way you can find the love of your life when you're that young. Yes, you can. (laughs) And honestly, by that point, I thought I was behind schedule. Like, I don't know if I was just... Like it was like ingrained in me that, oh, you need to find the love of your life at 17 because my sister did. And I thought, oh, I'm totally behind schedule, but there's no schedule. (laughs) You know, I actually found in my senior year of high school, I had uh, at my theater banquet as we were graduating, I had written down where I see myself in five years and 10 years and stuff like that. And I don't know why. Other than maybe following in my parents' footsteps, I wrote down that I wanted to be married before I was like 25, started done having kids by the time I was 30. And again, not sure why that was my, I, I wasn't actively trying to do that though, even though I ended up doing that. Although I did not stop having kids by the time I was 30 because I had another baby after 30. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, it wasn't my intention necessary, necessarily. I remember when I met Brian, I was 21. When I went on my first day with him, I wasn't going out with him thinking, this will be my husband. I was not acting like that at all. And sometimes I feel like when you do let your guard down in that way is when you actually do find who you want to spend the rest of your life with. It's With Colin and me, it was very quick to know that he was the one. We knew that we were meant to be together by like about a month in. Like it was, it was actually a weird moment. We were watching election results <laughs> and I thought I could see us doing this when we're like 60. And I was like, huh, I guess this is it, huh? They always say, when you know, you know, well, you know, you know, I, as much as that is a cliche saying, I knew after the first day with Brian that something was different. And then I want to say it was after about six weeks of dating I knew that I was in love with him. And then like three months in is when we actually said, I love you. But I mean, then nine months after only dating nine months, we bought our first house together. So, I mean, we, and it was not like it's something our families were against his. I remember one day it was his grandparents, his parents and my parents all in a van going and looking at houses. 
which is like, what? Nine months later. And they were totally fine with it. And I was like 22, graduating college. It was just a very bizarre time. And like I said, now we've been married 10 years and all is well in the world. So you and Colin got married in 2010. And Lily is your oldest, correct? Yes. And we were married in 2014. Oh, 2014. You got engaged in 2010? No, started dating in 2010. Met 2008. Dating in 2010. Married 2014. Okay. So you got, and then when was Lily born? She was born in 2016 at the beginning of it. I got pregnant about six months into marriage. It was totally not planned. (laughs) Well, congrats. That's, hey, you know what? That means less stress, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. It was less pressure on when you're going to get pregnant because I already was. You know, I do think that is such a, now that I have kids and I have friends that have struggled with infertility, it's such a, it seems like such a common question for a newly married couple. When are you guys going to have kids or even why haven't you had kids yet? And you just don't realize what's going on in the background. So I'm glad you did not have to go through that. (laughs) Yeah. Like we, um, after I had Lily, actually, I don't think I've told you this before, but, um, after I had Lily, then we were ready to have another child and I actually had a miscarriage in 2018. And so that was my first real look at how I did not give enough consideration to people who were struggling with infertility or had previous miscarriages. I just never knew what to do. Like in that moment, my sister had a miscarriage, um, a couple years prior and I had no idea how to be there for her until I experienced it myself. Was it an early term or a late term miscarriage? It was, it was very early. I was only about seven weeks and it happened while on vacation, unfortunately. <gasps> yeah. And so it was, it was scary. It was heartbreaking. And you think like, I've heard it from another couple moms that I've talked to. They think, Oh, you've had one child. You feel like you're almost immune to miscarrying, but that's not the case at all. It's science. And there's so many other things that happen and everything. So like, I was very shocked that it happened. Oh, completely. I mean, was it a, a fluke? Or did they discover something like he needed to be on blood thinner medication or something like that? They said there's no real reason to why it happened. And like, they, they just kept reassuring me, there's nothing you could have done. Like there's nothing that you could have done to have hurt the baby. It just was not meant to be. And so I just, we grieved for a while and everything. And we're very grateful that we were um, able to get pregnant with Alex um, a couple months later. So, um, but I know that's not necessarily the case for everyone. No. And you know, you're right. I feel like when you and I were growing up, it was not something that people talked about very much at all. And maybe that's because of social media. We were just aware of it more, but I feel like more and more people that I know have, struggled with getting pregnant altogether, or you're right, they have their first and then they have the most issues getting pregnant the second time. Or in some cases I had friends that experienced miscarriages three times, um, or even very late term. So it's just, you never know what's going on. So I feel like once you either go through it, have friends that go through it, you start handling the females slash couples in your life much differently and how you ask questions, talk to them, help them, Etc. Because you're right. It's never something anyone th- thinks, oh, this will happen to me. It's definitely not that way. Definitely. So you had Lily in 2016. Mm-hmm. What's going on professionally for you now that you you got a communications degree from U of L? 
Mm -hmm. That's right. So professionally, where did your career path take you out of college? Um, I started um, at the end of college and then after I was in banking. I was a teller and banker and then a senior banker who was um, a member of management um, at a branch. And then I then at that point, then when Colin and I got married, I thought, oh, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to be a stay-at-home mom? Do I want to have a lighter schedule so I could be there for our kids? This was even before we were thinking about trying to have children. And I wanted to kind of set myself up for success and said, well, let's see how I like it. And so I worked for my father-in-law for a while. He had an oral surgery practice. And I quickly learned that, no, I need to have a 40-hour-a-week position. I want to be able to contribute to the household I want to find enrichment outside of the home for myself, just because with a communication degree and like really enjoying graphic design and PR and those things, I, I needed that enrichment. And so I went into a marketing position. Um, I did automotive marketing for a little over three years. And then, um, by that point, um, we, um, we already had had the miscarriage in 2018 and then, um, then got pregnant with Alex and I was about 18 weeks along and then um, I was laid off and I had no prospects, no savings account, nothing. And I was really scared. I had no idea what to do. I didn't know exactly how I could um, use my marketing experience. I had a non-compete that was valid for the next two years. What? Yeah. Um, non-compete for two years? Yeah, it's hopefully it's a thing. That's a hardcore non-compete. Yeah. And it was not necessarily just marketing in general. It was more so like automotive marketing. And I had a lot of experience in that realm when it came to like creating um, stuff for like car dealerships. And so I, I was like, well, what do I want to do? And so I spiraled at that point. I was pregnant and scared. And we had just the previous week before I was laid off, used up our full savings account because we had a new house and we had an electrical problem. And so our savings was zero. And all of a sudden I didn't have a job. And thankfully I was able to qualify for unemployment for a while, but I was so scared. And I knew that I never wanted, never wanted to feel like that ever again. And so like I started diving into like personal development books. I started reading financial books and of course, I read the Dave Ramsey Total Money Makeover. Um, it was my mom's old copy from like 2000. And um, it really kind of set off a light bulb that we needed to change our like our finances. We needed to be more independent and not be paying off things that we've already used. Like I shouldn't be still paying for a couch I bought two years ago. And so I, I started really diving into the financial side of it and then eventually calling got on board because he wasn't seeing any traction on like, for example, our credit card, we would be paying a hundred dollars a month. He said, Oh, we have a hundred dollars to put towards our credit card. But then our interest on our credit card was $110. And so we were just treading water, if not even going deeper into debt. And so we just really just learned what we needed to learn about what to do to focus on it and just get it done. And thankfully that has really brought us together when it comes to communication specifically about money, because money fights can be totally real in a marriage. If anyone's not married yet, that will probably. Oh, 
I remember our priest told us that before we got married. Like, hey, one of the biggest things you'll end up fighting about is probably money. Um, one of the number one causes of divorce, like having money problems. What What has it, when you say that it has increased your communication and like made your marriage better, why do you think that is? I think it's because we've defined our role like in the money sign, they always say that there's a nerd and there's a free spirit in, um, in a couple when you're talking about finances. And my husband's totally the nerd. And so I let him control the spreadsheet of all of our finances. And then my role is to handle, like, what are we going to do with it? Because I'm, I like to spend money. <laughs> and so I, um, I definitely have to reel myself in, but like maintaining my child's lunch account at school and, um, we have these things coming up that we need to pay for kind of having those defined roles instead of both of us trying to be doing the same thing. I think that kind of helps us kind of tag team it a little better. You know, it's funny you say that. I mean, not funny. I guess that's obviously proven in a relationship, but Brian is the nerd and I am the free spirit. And it's not that I'm a crazy spender because honestly, I do not shop a lot. That's just, I mean, he has an accounting degree. It clearly makes sense. <laughs> and I am in radio. Um, it's not that I can't get a good grade in a math class, but it's not something I enjoy managing. And it's something that he does. So I think that's such a noble thing because, I mean, clearly you see how many people or even, I mean, heck, I've been caught in that too. Whether it's like, especially when you first get out of school and you're starting your life, it's like, oh, just get a credit card. Or, oh, it's just, we'll just pay it off in the amount of time. Or, oh, just get this car. I feel like it's one of those things that I don't remember ever being taught that well. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the, the credit card companies, they are, as soon as you get into college, they are marketing to you. Like they, like even, I remember at my U of L orientation, there was a bank there advertising their credit card. And I thought, oh, well, if I want to do anything in life, I'm going to have to start building credit. Oh, I'll just buy a top at the limited and then pay it off every month. I can be responsible with this. And I was 18 years old. There was no way I was going to be responsible with that. And I just, I had a habit of just saying, oh, this is fine. I'll spend $500 for big little week for um, my sorority and no big deal. I'll pay it off later. I have a job and then it would just keep building and building. It was really bad habits. So really what you did was take control of something that tends to spiral. And obviously money problems can cause um, mental stress and for anybody, let alone a couple of family, whatever. So by getting control of it, didn't you say that going into 2021, the only debt you have is your house? That's right. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, we paid off um, a little less than $25,000 um, of debt. That was not our house. That is incredible. Thank you. Now, do you ever feel like strapped where you think, well, I can't go to the grocery store this week or I can't afford to do that for my kids? Like, do you feel that or do you feel like you've just, you guys have really become that smart with your money that you don't feel that way anymore? Well, we had to adjust the budget. Like I always tell people, like if you are setting a budget, for the first time, it's going to change. Like we used to do a monthly budget and now we reset the budget every two weeks because it was kind of too much to handle and to understand like I could 
accidentally, especially when you're in pandemic mode and go to Meyer and spend $300 on groceries. And all of a sudden your grocery budget's all the way gone. And all you bought were Uncrustables and toilet paper. And so I just kind of narrowing what we needed for our personalities really helped. And then anticipating the expenses really helps you not get strapped. And then also my husband um, is very, he likes security when it comes to finances. And so he always has like an extra buffer on there or in the case where we forget that AAA comes out this month or something, then we have that safety net. That's so, I mean, based on what I know from people around me, when they talk about stuff, the relief in your brain to know that you've got, you're covering your back. Mm-hmm. You're prepared. Like you said, when you lost your job, you felt like you were drowning. You were floundering. You didn't know what to do. I mean, to be able to create your own safety net and know that you're in control is huge. Yeah. And then think about it. Like I, we just on our vehicles, we were paying like $530 a month, just paying off our vehicles. And that was just the minimum payment. And I was like, that is only a couple hundred dollars less than what we pay for our son's daycare. Like that's, it kind of like makes you stop and think that is insane. And that's not even, that's like, I think it was like 400 and something in America is the average car payment. Oh yeah. One vehicle. I mean, when you think about like two vehicles and then once you have kids, the cost of whether you're paying for daycare, preschool, private school, aftercare it is is if when you've got two kids it's as much as a mortgage easily mm-hmm. oh yeah and we made the decision that we wanted to keep our kids um once they get to like three years and up that we want our kids to go to um, catholic school for our religion and the quality of the education that's available and so we're like is this dream even going to work like how are we even going to be able to afford a high school that costs just as much as my undergrad cost. We're like, this is what we want. This is what we need to do. And so getting out of debt was a key factor in knowing that that's going to be a possibility. We have to start saving for it like now, even though they're four and almost two, but we're going to make it happen because it's a dream of ours. Yes. And you, and you're making it a reality now. So I think that's one of the reasons why I knew I wanted to talk to you ahead of time. Um, was because I, it's just something that I don't feel a lot of people are, first of all, most people don't sit around talking finances. Um, that's just not something that's typically in your repertoire of stuff to talk about unless it's family, maybe, and even then probably not. So the fact that you guys have been so open about that and doing that, I feel like it is such an accomplishment and like, it just goes to show that you can, um, if you have the right plan. And I know when I first started the podcast, you and I were talking and this, this has been going on now almost a year. The podcast has been out and you messaged me. And I know that it has been a rough year and that rough year has nothing to do with the pandemic. Um, earlier in 2020, I remember you had messaged me and said, I would love to be on someday. And I would love to talk about what happens sometimes when all of a sudden you're the child that has to become the caretaker. And what happened in 2020? Well, um, it started about halfway through um, 2019. Um, we had a, it's more less of a caretaker, but more of a, we don't have the support system that we used to have. When 
Lily was born, we had everyone rallied around us. We always had grandparents that wanted to take her to lunch or she could do sleepovers or, um, and we got, we honestly kind of kept it as a crutch in a way. Like we just loved the fact that we had a great support system. If my child was sick, I always knew there was somebody who could watch her. So I didn't have to use any vacation time at work. And that was really valuable to us. And then in 2019, um, my father-in-law got sick and he owned his own business. And so we had to shut down the business. And, um, so then my mother-in-law had to, um, she worked so hard, God bless her. She had to get a second job and, um, she, she made it work. She is, her drive and dedication is rather inspiring with how much she did to keep them afloat, like while he was sick. And, um, so we didn't have her as a support system. And then also my parents shortly after Lily was born, but in the last couple of years, it's gotten rather extensive. They took care of my grandparents and it was a full-time job. They were adamant that my grandparents would not go into any kind of assisted living or nursing home because for one, they knew that they would be separated. And then also they didn't want to use up my grandparents' money um, that much because it's so expensive for that kind of care specifically for both of them. And so my parents were heavily involved in their care um, for the last almost five years. And um, in 2020, um, unfortunately, um, all three of our members of our family who were sick um, have since passed. My father-in-law and my grandmother um, both passed away in April. And then my grandfather passed away in November. So your father-in-law and his mother? Um, my father-in-law and then my mother's parents. Oh, Lord. Mm -hmm. That it's really hard. We, we thought my grandfather would pass away shortly after my grandmother. We thought like my grandmother wanted that notebook moment where they would go at the same time. And that wasn't how it worked out. So he had um, a couple months after her um, when um, he was finally passed. You know, that actually happened to Brian's grandparents a couple years ago, uh, about three years ago. They passed, they were together 67 years, 68 years when they passed. And after he passed away, it, her birthday was a couple weeks later. And she looked at me and she laughed and she was like, Sarah, this is silly. How am I turning this old? And then she was like, my doctors say they'll see me next year. And she was like, I don't think so. And she, I remember her telling me, she was like, I've never spent an anniversary without him, a wedding anniversary. And she was like, and I don't intend to. And she passed away like four days before their wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. No, I did not cut out. I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> it's one of those like bittersweet things that like, you're glad they can be together still as hard as it is for everybody else. So I, I, feel for anybody who loses any family member, any grandparent, especially a parent, but to lose them so close back to back. I mean, meanwhile, I'm sure as you were thought, as you probably saw people complaining about the pandemic, you were probably over there going, um, I can stay quarantined in my house just fine, <laughs> but I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. And I was very grateful at the time because, um, Colin is back in the office, like partly, but he's majority working from home, but I'm back in the office now. But when, um, we had the first two deaths in our family, 
I was really grateful that we were both home because I don't think we would have been able to like, yeah, we have bereavement time, but we needed, we needed more time to process everything going on. And we honestly thought that my father-in-law was getting better. And then he just died suddenly of a heart attack. Um, like about a week after he got home from a rehab center. And so it was just very, it was so sudden we were like almost like in shock and we were numb and we we're still trying to balance our work. And then we had both of the kids with us. If one of us was home or we were both in the office, it would have been a much harder situation. The silver linings of 2020, at least you were able to be home for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, did your kids understand what was going on at all? Cause that's actually about the ages our kids were, um, like Brian's grandparents passed. It's just, a, it's a really, I mean, they may understand heaven, maybe it's, it's such a st- weird conversation to have with a little kid. Cause you also don't want to scare them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, Alex, he didn't really, he doesn't understand anything that's going on quite yet, but with Lily, it was our first real conversation besides like a cat dying um, about heaven and what happened. And we had to tell her about Colin's father and my grandmother at the same time. And it was, they were only three days apart dying. And so explaining that to her, she still, she still has dreams about them. She'll come down after we put her to bed, she'll come down to the basement while we're watching TV crying because she had a dream about her pop-pop and it's just so gut-wrenching to know that she is feeling that and so we're trying to incorporate things of his to kind of reinforce the positiveness of him like we have a blanket that he used um, while he was in the hospital and we call it her pop-pop blanket and so that's what she uses when we're in the car so here's your pop-pop blanket and so like makes her smile and she like she had a relationship with my grandmother, but her you know her grandfather um, remembering him and still she still dreams about him and figuring out how she's going to process that it's really difficult to navigate. And it's something that I, it is constant um, after my kid. Well, the deaths that my kids remember, which was when their grandparents passed away back to back, Brian's grandparents, they asked similar questions and he would say he had dreams about her or he would out of nowhere would say like, I miss Grammy. Um, or they would pick up a piece of jewelry and ask Brian's mom, like, was this Grammy's? Or they would ask me questions like, can we go to the cemetery and give them a blanket? What if they're cold? Um, like it's such cute little kid answers. Or we'd be in the car and they'd look up and they were like, did they drive to heaven? How did they get to heaven? And that's just such cute, adorable questions. And I mean, I can remember times where I was like driving and I would not turn around and look at them because like I would be sitting there like silently crying. And that's another thing as a parent is like, I don't like my kids to see me cry sad tears mm-hmm. because I feel like it, it's so like I'm supposed to be their rock. And I'm supposed to wipe their tears, not the other way. So I found like, even through that process, like I tried to, like you said, keep it positive, make it happy things. And it's weird because there, we have, um, even though we live in a new house, we have several, um, antique pieces of furniture from them. And there are times that I walk past some of those antique pieces and all of a sudden I'll just get this waft of perfume that smells like Grammy. 
and I've gotten to the point where that piece of furniture is in my daughter's bedroom, I will pat the furniture and say, hi, Grammy. And I'll walk away because the smell is not always there. It's so strange that I probably sound crazy. <laughs> um, you know, after our, we had um, a cat that my husband had for a really long time when he passed away. Um, we could like, it was like almost like our, either our brain was playing tricks on us or his ghost was in our house. We could hear his meow. He had a very distinct meow. And we always thought that we were hearing it. And we're like, okay, rescue. We're, we're moving. Come with us. Come on. <laughs> so I completely believe the whole perfume thing. It's it's strange. After my my dad's mom passed away, we <laughs> I feel like we've gone very morbid. We'll bring it back. Don't worry. When we were pregnant, <laughs> our first, we lost three grandparents that year. Uh, within six months, actually, my son met my grandma um, when he was six weeks old. That was the last death, and I felt like there was this weird circle of life. Like for us to bring in my son or our son, we had to lose some of the grandparents. It was a weird thing. But ever since that grandma passed. Um, my dad will randomly smell incense and like the incense of a Catholic church. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. In uh, like, it, which is not a smell. You smell randomly because <laughs> it's not anywhere, but like inside a church, but my dad will smell that randomly. Um, it's just so strange. And like, are they coincidences? Maybe, but at the same time, it's almost comforting in a way to think that, you know what, maybe it is just a little sign that like they're watching down and it's going to be okay. <sighs> Definitely. So 2020 for you, obviously trying, we're going into 2021. So what are your goals for this year? Well, um, our first goal is we are finally getting new windows in our house. We, um, when we were paying off debt, we knew that our windows were really bad. Like we, if it storms too hard, we have a sliding door that will leak. We have windows in our own bedroom that would just pour in water. And our, and our son's window has so much insulation on it that we're waiting on a letter from our HOA with how horrible it looks from the outside because it's extremely cold in there. And so we have, it's all like patched up and everything. So we could kind of hold it off as long as we could. So we're doing that. That's the first thing and starting to um, save for our children's high school and college because that's going to cost a pretty penny. And yeah, just trying to find some extra joy. Like I feel like a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm not happy. Something needs to change. And I think I'm trying to figure out how to be happy with what I currently have. Like just some contentment around like, oh, you have um, a hard day with your kids or a hard day at work. Just being saying, well, what, what was good about it? And just, you have to kind of like train your brain on that, like as like a muscle um, saying default to the positivity. And so that's something that I really, I know I personally need to work on. Oh, I, I've always been a person who's thought that I was a very positive person. Um, but 2020 has certainly um, put that through the ringer. Um, and I hate, I'm a control freak. And so when people my husband loves to say, just take it one day at a time or change what you can change and, or, but don't stress about the stuff that you can't. Um, heck we had a discussion about this morning. He was like, we only can control so much. We have to stop worrying about everything else. And I hate those phrases, but at the end of the day, if there's one thing last year taught me, whether it's personal or professionally, I need to focus on the things that I can control that can be a guarantee 
And then the other thing is I need to stop putting so much expectation on those things because then that's where I end up getting upset or that's where anxiety comes from. Or I'm trying to plan too far in advance. And right now, that's what this pandemic's taught us. It's hard to plan tomorrow, let alone six months from now. Who knows what six months from now is going to look like? So what can I control in the meantime? Where can I find joy in the meantime? Unfortunately, I found a little bit too much joy in snacks, but I will adjust that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it, it is something that it's like had to, to, I've had to, you talk about like reprogram your brain. Like I had my husband and I had a conversation today about stop going down that path. Let's focus on what we can do. Ugh, okay, fine. <laughs> I always felt like I was always like very positive outside of myself. Like when I'm with a group of people, I always, I was always the funny one. And I, then when I get home, I would be very serious and negative and only really my mom saw that side of me growing up. And I'm trying to really like, I go through spurts of where like, I am like at my best. I am just like inside myself. I feel a lot of gratitude and positivity and, um, I'm kind of like a, like a high vibrancy in my brain, but then eventually something will happen. And then I just revert back to my old ways. And so I'm really trying to focus on that. Like be really grateful for what I have and find happiness in the little things because the big things are all going to change. Like, especially with the whole pandemic going on. Of course. Of course. I mean, Maggie, I actually, when I think about you and knowing you the last well, I guess over 10 years now, which is weird, yeah. right, like 10 years. That's really weird. Um, you're always the one that's smiling in the room and you are always like a happy force. So even if you do get serious at home, I mean, the fact that you are a, you are a source of positivity for others as well. So I'm just so damn proud of <laughs> a, your finances, um, B that you made it through 2020 pandemic aside, going through that is no easy feat whatsoever. And um, I don't, no one wishes that upon anybody. So I, I feel for you so much. And I mean, you and Colin have built such an incredible life and I'm so glad that over the course of the last 10 years, we've gotten to know one another and continue to kibitz back and forth. Cause you're very funny on social media too. <laughs> uh, so even though I realize that you're just putting out there what you want people to see, I appreciate that you put out the funny things because I, I need that. Um, <laughs> so Maggie, if you ever need anything, I am right here and I greatly appreciate you joining me today. This is a long time coming. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really great to you know be able to connect with you with you know, the great Sarah Jordan. <laughs> and, you know, I just, I like connecting like this. I like that you're giving everyone a platform where um, women and moms are able to, you know, speak on their lives. It's a great outlet. It's something that's not necessarily common, like in the podcast space. Usually it's talking about what you should be doing on podcasts, not where you are. And I think that your podcast gives us that being like where we are and what we're how we're handling our lives and struggles that we have. And I really appreciate that you give people an outlet for that. You know, when I came back to work after baby three, I was struggling really hard. Um, the mom guilt of knowing how much I work and I'm away from the kids and something about the finality of it was my last baby. I felt extreme guilt about it. And then I realized very quickly that I was, I'm so blessed to have the support of my parents and um, family around me, but then also a really good group of girlfriends that were all moms. And 
I kept seeing all these people struggling on social media and I'd reach out to them on the side and whether it was their kid wasn't sleeping or struggling to get pregnant or breastfeeding is really hard, whatever it was. And I would just always message them on the side or maybe they were just having a bad day. And I would just simply say, Hey, are you okay? And then I realized that some people don't have that village. Some people don't have that support. And I wanted to start a podcast and at first I wanted it to be like, I'm going to bring on a breastfeeding expert and they're going to teach people how to make breastfeeding easier. And then I quickly realized that women enjoy not feeling alone. Women enjoy being heard and women get inspired by other women simply by hearing what they've gone through. And so I think it's really fun to a play, connect the dots and figure out how you know people and how small the world is, especially mm-hmm. in the city. But then beyond that, I love getting to know who people are now by understanding where they've come from. And I think it's such a huge part because everything that we've like been through is a certainly what determines who we are today and who may we may be tomorrow. So it has been, even though it's been extra work added on, it is something that has brought me the one of the most joyous things in my life. And it's just making more relationships because I've had to stay home for the last, since if you include maternity leave now, I've been home for 14 months straight and only five weeks of those was was I back in the office before I was back home again because of the pandemic. And it has made me feel very isolated and disconnected. Obviously I'm sitting in my house (laughs) all day for 14 months straight and with all of my kids trying to maintain my job. And it has made me, I've learned to say the phrase to people, I am always here. I am near, but far. So it doesn't matter how far away I am. I can still have a conversation with you, connect with you. And this is going to sound cheesy, but like our relationship will be different because we've had this discussion. Um, Because that's what I keep finding with other people is that I've had a discussion with them and I feel like I understand them in a different way. I'm closer to them in a different way. (laughs) And then that changes our relationship for the better. So if I can stop and just talk to these amazing women that I know are near me and let them share their story and let someone else hear it, then that's the least that I can do. And I'm, I'm so grateful for your feedback and for you saying that because some days I feel like I'm just sitting alone in my office talking to a microphone connected to a laptop and I forget that it's connecting to a lot more people than I realize. <laughs> so, um, yes. thank you so much, Maggie. You are wonderful. And, uh, I love your name. <laughs> <laughs> I love your daughter's name as well. 